Uh, welcome to uh, We Are SC podcast on signing day 2019. Uh, Eric McKinney here with Daryl Riddell. Uh, Daryl, USC wraps up the day. There are 26 total signees, still kind of getting used to the idea that you come into signing day with a ton of guys already signed. It's just st- still wrapping my head around that. So just seven right. guys added today brings it up to 26 total uh, eventually we'll get into kind of a position-by-position position breakdown and, and get your thoughts. But I'm just curious about sort of your overall thoughts um, uh, about the entire class. So I'm going to let you kind of step up and, and go first with that. Sure. And, you know, and like you talked about it, Eric, just the difference in terms of being able to sign early. Far cry from the days that I was being recruited in 1999 coming out of Long Beach Poly where I might have um, – maybe given a verbal, but still had to wait to that, that epic February, first week of February, right after the Super Bowl, where um, I would have that opportunity to make a commitment. But when I look at this class, you know, and the size of it, just compared to some of the previous classes where scholarship reductions limited the amount of, of scholarship offers that, that could be extended out, and when you think about the likes of 26, it almost makes you wonder, uh, you know, when you're Clay Helton and you're trying to fill a roster and you're replacing so much production on the field, was this quantity or um, versus quality? And surprisingly, Eric, I think that there's a combination of both here, but the statistics might read if you're looking at the newspaper clippings the next morning that, you know, from USC's perspective, this is – probably their um, worst class since 2006 in, in terms of getting those quality blue-chip players or retaining those blue-chip players. But overall, I'm very intrigued um, in a number of areas because I think that this coaching staff has a sense of what they need, and they certainly went into this recruiting campaign trying to fulfill fill certain voids, and I thought that they definitely brought qu- um, quantity in now there's a matter of will it all pan out, and I guess hopefully we'll have a chance to dive into that. Uh, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I think this class overall is going to get maybe not bashed, but certainly dinged. Um, it, it's not what you're used to seeing from USC the last you know decade or so. Um, it, it, just, just going down the list in California, if you look at the top 20 prospects in California, USC signed two of them. Texas signed two of them. Washington right. got three. Oregon got five. It's something where if you want to put a fence up around California, especially around Southern California, and we heard Clay Helton at his press conference today talk about the number of guys from Southern California, and they really wanted to, to get guys from the Western states and from Southern California. And I, I don't know if you did that with top-line talent. Again, going just down that, that top 20 list, you had guys – where early in the process you think this is a USC guy, this is a USC guy. Right. I mean, a guy, the number one prospect in the country, Kayvon Thibodeau, a Brew McCoy, which, again, there's obviously some extenuated circumstances there, but, you know, cornerbacks Michael Wright, Chris Steele, offensive linemen you needed, uh, Jonah Tanu and Sean Ryan. Gabriel Floyd was in the class early. Mace Foon is another linebacker. Trent McDuffie's going, uh, at, you know, out of, the, the, out of Southern California. And then Laitu Latu, you've got Washington kind of coming in and making a presence. Those are names where if those are the names that Clay Helton is reading out today, it's obviously just a completely different story. But, but like you mentioned, 
the proverbial but get right? these things where you look back you know let's re-rank the 2015 recruiting classes let's re-rank the 2012 recruiting classes and at a certain point it starts to become like hey why do i keep seeing usc's class when it gets re-ranked right you know fifth and sixth in the pac-12 and and at this point, you just kind of want to hang on to guys for three and four years. The, the attrition rate has been just But, you, you know, know it's down. always been the case, Eric. It has always been the case that USC gets the pick of the litter. But as of, as of recent, at least under the Clay Helton um, regime, you know, one can argue that are these quality uh, four-star, five-star athletes developing or reaching their maximum potential? And in years past, when USC has been at its best, it was because um, in addition to the four- or five-star talents, you were able to take a three-star talent and rise them up to a level where they're exceeding their own expectations or the expectations of others. So when you talk about where this class coming in with low expectations, well, this class, I hope that that this is the blue-collar class that's going to come in and, and really try to prove why they, they, um, they have been underrated, undervalued, and underappreciated and come in with that chip on their shoulder and be ready to work because this, this, this um, recruiting class is unlike any that I've experienced um, in my 20 years of being around USC football. And what I mean by that is, uh, extenuating circumstances during the off season, where uh, Lynn Swan has a meeting with Clay Helton and they elect to clean house, you know, um, part ways with their offensive coordinator and several other um, key offensive staff members, and on the defensive side, revamping that up. So now you bring in the likes of an air raid attack, one that is. I'm still intrigued to see how the dynamics of of Clay Helton, will he sit back being an offensive coordinator for 25-plus years or at least being on that side of the ball, right? How, is he going to sit back and actually allow Harold Graham, the new offensive coordinator, Graham Harold, I'm sorry, the new offensive coordinator to come in and, and really implement his system and will there be open quarterback competition or will we see the likes of JT Daniels um, having the first crack at it? So a lot of questions that that um, that are yet to be answered for spring ball, but before then we got to know who guys like JT Daniels will be throwing to, and that's what makes this recruiting class very intriguing. Because for all the names that you mentioned that are not in this program, there are still some quality substance guys in this program um, that are in this recruiting class that could impact the program for three or four years to come. I think you're going to get a real sense of uh, the the evaluation skills um, of some of these coaches. And, and a lot of times, you know, you hear coaches all the time saying, we don't pay attention to rankings, we don't pay attention to rankings. I mean, they do, but, hey, you're going to get a chance to prove it here where you're bringing all these guys in where it's like, you know, we're, we're wondering, are these traditional USC-level recruits? The The answer clearly is no on a few, but, again, the idea that, that maybe these coaches sort of have that ability in three, four years to turn these guys really into right. those redshirt juniors, seniors, redshirt seniors that USC has, has kind of been lacking in recent years. Those, those, you know, fourth, fifth year guys that have been in the program for a long time and can really be your leaders. Um, maybe you brought 
a bunch of those guys in today. Again, the idea of people overreacting on signing day to what just came in is, at, you know, as traditional as waking up at 4 a.m. to get signing day started. Uh, so, so I don't think there's any reason to say these guys are not going to work out, but it makes it really intriguing, um, I, I think, this class. And so with that, we'll, we'll get started kind of hitting the positions. And, I, you know, in honor of you being here, taking a look, and also because it, it was by far uh, the most impacted position uh, with this recruiting class, we'll start at defensive back. And there, there were guys from all over the country um, added in the defensive back class. In December, in the early period, uh, USD goes into Florida and gets Britton Allen. He was a late flip. Uh, Max Williams and Trey Davis as the cornerbacks. And then Clay Helton said at his press conference today, hey, we know that we needed to load up at defensive back. He mentioned they lost seven guys from the defensive backfield off last year's roster. They're going to lose another one uh, at the end of this year. That's losing eight guys in two years. And so he said, we absolutely need to load up today. They signed five guys in the defensive backfield. Uh, they go to Texas for Dorian Hewitt, Tennessee for Adonis Ote, Hawaii for Kaulana Makaula, and then here locally at Corona Centennial for Jaden Williams. And then they bring in a Juco cornerback in Jalen Watson. And, and I right. know this kind of runs the gamut from a guy like Max Williams that we've seen sort of for years uh, to a few guys that they, they popped up within the last week. Um, they get, <laughs> I know, get right? An offer, get an offer, take an official visit, sign with USC. And so sign with USC. I, I'm really interested. I don't, I don't think okay. that there's a position group that sort of has more intrigue than this yes. just glut of defensive backs that's joining the roster. Yeah, and when you talk about USC – um, losing seven quality players in the secondary. Um, you're talking about the likes of an Iman Biggie Marshall, Isaiah Langley, a Jane Harris, and, and, you know, Jonathan Lockett, guys that have been in this program that have given very serviceable minutes, but more importantly were staples within this program for the last three or four years. And you take away all that experience, and, and you're left with uh, an empty cupboard. But what does USC do? They go out, and when they recruit it, they went out and they looked for versatility. And, and as I started reading the bios on many of these players, um, ver both offense and on the defensive side, what I noticed are these are competitors, two-way players that either play offense and defense but also play other sports like basketball. That was the one thing that really stood out to me. But when you talk about this particular recruiting class in, in general, I think about how early USC oftentimes have to play Stanford and the size that Stanford's receivers pose as, a, as an issue for SC. So when you bring in the likes of a JUCO transfer, as you talked about, Jalen Watson out of Augusta, uh, Georgia, He's 6'2", 190 pounds, and while he's listed as a DB, I expect him to come in and compete for serviceable minutes as a corner. You talk about a 6'2", long arm span, rangy guy like that, and a Jaden Williams out of um, uh, Corona Centennial, 6'1", 195 pounds. You can line those kind of guys up and across the board. Clancy Pendergast and his defensive scheme really wants to feature a lot of man coverage. And you can't play a lot of man coverage 
unless you got man corners. And these are man eaters. These are guys that will line up at the line of scrimmage and force a receiver to have to redirect themselves. Aren't going to get beat up at the point of attack. But what I love about them is they have very fluid hips, um, get in and out of their breaks extremely well, but because they also play um, safety in many regards, they're lined up at the safety position, that tells me if you're trying to replace the likes of a a J.N.A. Harris – Perhaps you're thinking initially a guy like Max Brown, uh, Max Williams makes a lot of sense. He's 5'9", 175 pounds, uh, coming out of what, uh, Sarah, and very instinctual off-man corner. Makes a lot of sense playing in that slot. But then you talk about moving the likes of Jaden Williams into that slot or Adonis um, Ote. I, I love the fact that you do have that kind of flexibility where you can mix and match. And a couple of years ago, Clancy's defense was at its best when they can match up against versus situation. Against the 6'8 tight ends, you can put a corner in there that's physical enough to compete without giving up too much. I love what this class has in terms of the secondary from a versatility standpoint. But I've got to be honest with you, for, for every um, – um, Jaden Williams at 6'1", 195 pounds, you talk about a Dorian Hewitt. Granted, he was being considered or he was considering the likes of a Syracuse um, out out of North Shore, uh, Houston, Texas area. I'm not convinced that USC didn't stretch when they extended that offer to him. Now, granted, the, the, um, the defensive back coach that was there previously is no longer you bring in Greg Burns, who coached me. One thing I will say is the secondary will develop and they will be coached up, and I would not be surprised if they led the Pac-12 in turnovers, interceptions, and deflections. Um, Greg Burns gets a lot out of a little and a little out of a lot when you talk about guys that are five stars and getting them to peak at their highest level or guys that were undervalued, getting them to play with confidence. You're going to see that with Greg Burns. But, Eric, it's a reach when you talk about Hewitt because when I watch him on film, he's very raw. He played multiple positions, also played on the offensive side, but if you're talking about him as a true cover corner or even a zone corner – His reaction time is a little slow for me, not the likes of the type of caliber of talent that USC normally brings in. So I'm almost wondering, because he may have been recruited before the the new regime came in on the defensive side, the likes of a Greg Burns as a defensive back coach, was that a situation where USC may have honored that scholarship offer? Because I just can't see him beating out the guys that are in front of him right now. Well, Hewitt was one of those guys that, that really kind of came on late for USC, and, and I think it was one of those things, again, like Helton said, we had to go get defensive backs. Um, and so I think at that point, it really – and again, everyone's kind of getting still used to that early signing period. When you find out in January – you know, maybe not find out in January, but when you start looking around in January, hey, we have to finish this class, what do we need? And you right. come up with a position – you may look around the country and say, all right, there's three guys we can go after. There's two guys we can go after. Um, and, and so it, it you make a does great kind of put you that. in a spot, just sort of trying to figure out who's still out there, who can we still go after. And, and the fact that this coaching staff ha- wasn't stabilized before, uh, by the end of that first signing in, in December really put them behind the eight ball 
because they missed out on a lot of, of, of quality talent. And it wasn't as though they didn't have great talent circled um, on this, this – um, um, in the, within this recruiting class, class, you think of guys that decommitted. You talked about Chris Steele out of St. John Bosco. He gets flipped, and now he's heading over to Florida. When I was on phone calls with him, and he was truly torn, but because it took USC so long to settle in on a new position coach, it, it really set them back. So I can almost see how – at that point, you're going for quantity, just making sure you get bodies in, and you're hoping that they develop and they turn into something. But if you whiff and you miss, now you find yourself having to go into the next recruiting class replicating what you just brought in. And you start to stockpile misses like that. That can really set your program back a half a decade. And I think that's one of those things You know, we, we talk a lot about uh, the Jaquari Godfrey, getting him, Thomas Graham ends up going up to Oregon. Not only is, is Thomas Graham, ha- has he shown that he's the better player, but now when Godfrey transfers, you, you don't even have a practice body anymore at that spot. And so, again, Elton talked about they're going to have to sort of be creative in the spring just because of a lack of bodies. And now you look at all these guys coming in in the, in the defensive back uh, yep. room Next year's class is going to be a smaller class. You can't right. load up a defensive back again. If you miss on some of these guys or there's, you know, some kind of massive logjam and some of them start leaving, now you've got that hole all over again that you thought you plugged here. So that, like I said, I think I think this defensive back group, just the range that it could go. I mean, if right. you land on a couple big-time guys, you know, you, you again, you look like a genius because you've evaluated these guys, you brought them in when – a lot of other schools weren't going on them, and it worked out. If there's a bunch of swings and yep. misses in this group, it it hurts. It'll it'll hurt a lot. Hey, Eric, you you've been around this game a lot uh, for a long time, covering um, this recruiting, just um, spanning the state to state. There is a dark horse in this group that many people wouldn't classify as a dark horse. But we, we spent so much time on Jaden Williams and Watson, I failed to mention um, Breeden Allen out of IMG. Man, this kid reminds me a lot of Donovan Warren when he was coming out of Long Beach Poly, considering USC, end up going to Michigan. But from his size standpoint and how fluid he is in his hips, this kid, you know, without touching USC's weight room, he already fills in his jersey. And when you talk about someone being able, you know, with clean feet work, uh, fluid hips getting in and out of his break, being able to cover every route on the route tree, then you move him into the slot. And now you got him covering um, uh, the, the third receiver, getting just size on the field. I'm very intrigued by how this group will elevate their game because of what they are going to face on the opposite side against the quality receivers that USC has in their program now and that they have coming into this uh, recruiting class. All right. Um, so that, that'll wrap up defensive backs. We've spent a lot of time, but hey, it was, it was a huge chunk of this recruiting class and we'll take a step up uh, on the defense and, and go to linebackers. And this is coming on the heels of USC signing a, a pretty substantial linebacker group in the 2018 class, but they bring in uh, another four guys. And I think potentially you might hit on some, again, position versatility with some of these guys. But 
uh, Manny Noah Tifono, and then Raylan Goforth. Goforth, a, a name that people are probably familiar with, with his brother over at, at UCLA. Um, and then uh, a Stanley Taufo, and then to a CV Nomura. We're going to get a ton of practice on some of these names because uh, <laughs> we go along. Um, but but again, there's some really intriguing things about these guys where, where they bring kind of some skill sets um, that, that maybe USC hasn't had in a little bit. Uh, yep. And this recruiting class, the, the first three linebackers, um, that they, they kind of got locked in fairly early. And then Nomura is a guy who, again, he, he's one of the three Corona Centennial guys. And again, was a guy, you know, late in the process, just kind of waited yep. and waited. And eventually school started coming. UCLA made a run at him and, and USC eventually wins out. And, uh, Coach Clay Helton, he, he referred to him as a Tasmanian devil. Um, I would, he says man, he, he I loves would agree that with guy. that. You know, and when, when you talk about Nomura, what what impresses me most about him is he is somewhat undersized. Kind of looks like you know if if I was just if I didn't know by position and I saw those guys lined up in a huddle, I think that he was a safety. Okay, but he reminds the way that I see his production on the football field and how he hovers around the line of scrimmage and what USC needs and missed when um, Porter Gustin went down and USC lost a lot of their production on the field getting tackles for losses and sacks. This is the guy you can plug and play. Reminds me, in terms of size and stature, of Matt Grudegood. While Matt was a little bit more poised in this, the Tasmanian devil aspect of his motor constantly running, and you get production, the way that he can contort his body, get around this um, offensive uh, lineman, and, and really cause havoc in the backfield but also draw back in space and has a good sense of zone, um, how to play zone coverages. I am very intrigued by his production and where can he, where will he fit in Clancy's system that features four linebackers, but of course they use the two on the outside almost like a, a Leo or an extended defensive end in a loose nine technique blitzing. I see him in the middle, perhaps next to EA, coming back if he gets some rotational time. I'm not sure he's a starter, but I can definitely see where he, he can contend with uh, the likes of John Houston for some playing time. And, and I think, like we said, the, there's USC coaches have to find, have to hit on some, you know, diamonds in the rough in this class. Um, if they just, if everybody in this class plays up to their recruiting ranking, it, it's, it's a rough class. But it's then you class. do have some guys you do have some guys that are, you know, USC takes in any year, and I think Tufono is, is that guy. I mean, he's he's a linebacker. He comes in. He fits every bit with, you know, last year's class um, of all those stellar linebackers. So you are still, again, getting guys like that in this class. There's mm-hmm. just, you know, a, 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 again, it's, it's plain to say there are a few guys where it's going to be a wait and see, and, and we'll just see how it goes. Yeah, and Tifono is more of the hammer, not the nail. He does fit that Polynesian feel. And, and look, you can never have enough Polynesians on your team. Ask Utah. Um, year in and year out, when you're, when you're going into the den in, in competition, you want guys that, um, that enjoy the competition when it's at its best. And what I think you're going to get from him is a nosebleed fight if you try to contest him as a fullback or a running back coming up the A-gap. 
I love his production, and I do think with his size, he can contend. He's not coming over from Hawaii, uh, you know, j- just to smell the palm trees here in the California. He's coming to raise havoc and in, in, in contend for some playing time. Yeah, absolutely. And then speaking of guys that, that fit in at USC any year going to the defensive line, Drake Jackson is obviously, you know, the, the guy that's going to get a lot of attention coming in, and then he's joined on the defensive line by a JUCO prospect in Nick Figueroa. And then also one of those, again, a guy who USC got in really late on and was kind of an unknown through the process, and, and he was a December signee, um, is Dejan Benton. Right, right. And and when, when you talk about, you know, Jackson and Figueroa, I, I really like Figueroa. You know, if you are going to go out um, and, and grab a JUCO guy, might as well grab a Juco guy that is mature and that can come in and give you immediate production. You know, they have him listed at 6'5", 275 pounds, but he can come in right away and give you, um, beyond serviceable minutes, he can give you production, tackles for loss, uh, increase your sacks production, because he's going to be one of those plugs um, coming off the edge if he is becomes an edge rusher and, and give you that length that you need to break up and disrupt passes. Um, I see, especially with USC's defense, Clancy loves to play his veterans. So if you come in and you pick up the system and you don't make mistakes, you have a great opportunity of of uh, kind of bleeding into that rotation. And when you start to produce and perform, USC is still looking for somebody to fulfill that that Predator role or that Porter Gustin role coming off the edge. Could it possibly be the likes of Figueroa or Jackson? You know, that's what intrigues everybody the most about these young guys coming in, but coming in ready to play and ready to compete. And then flipping over to the offensive side of the ball, I, I, I kind of want to get into straight up front the offensive line. You sign three guys, Jason Rodriguez, Tolini Levi, and Gino Quinones. Quinones, uh, when, when he was announced by USC, he's listed as an offensive lineman, defensive lineman. Uh, Coach Helton today, he mentioned him along with the offensive lineman, saying that this takes them up to a full three deep, 15 offensive linemen. I, I still do, I, I don't know. Three offensive linemen in this class. When I, if, if I'm setting down the numbers um, that I would have taken at the beginning of this recruiting cycle, I don't think I would have had three on the offensive line. I, I think it would have been four, maybe even five. And, again, Clay Elton talked about he likes to look at his offensive linemen out there during winter workouts and how a lot of those class of 2017 guys are taking yep. a leadership role because they're getting older. And what that says to me is that terrific class that you got in 2017 is is not long for USC at this point. It, it's not many right. years <laughs> until those guys are gone and you haven't really bulked up behind them, you've got to hit yeah. on a huge percentage uh, of these guys that you've signed. Um, but again, but Rodriguez is Eric... one of those no-brainer USC guys. Right. The other two are, are probably going to be interesting to watch. Yeah, but the cover was very bare this year. Across the, um, the, the, the United States, there just appeared to be a lack of of quality offensive linemen. And sometimes at certain positions, you have those off years. So Clay had to make the determination, I have to imagine, that do you reach 
Or do you grab you know, what you need and maybe kind of flip a couple of guys? Because make no mistake about it, there's probably a few guys on the defensive side right now um, in some of those meeting rooms that could easily become guards or tackles. Um, and with the flexibility that they have at the tight end position, you almost wonder, will they try to get production in terms of you know, um, using certain tight ends as a U-back so that they can get that pulling action? Because if they don't have depth and you have to rely on your starters to go long throughout the season, you just pray that they can stay healthy. But as history has proven, Eric, as you mentioned, they cannot afford to miss more than one guy in this, uh, in this particular class because you don't know if your number is going to be called. And right now, um, Gino Kinoes, am I pronouncing that right? Kinos? Kinones. Kinone. Um, I think he's a project. He played on both sides of the ball, very stiff in his hips, um, but very strong at the same time. So where do you place him, and can he line dance? Can he line up, synchronize, and step as I step as an offensive lineman? And can he get that movement down and learn the terminology fast enough? Because from watching him and observing him on tape, you almost wonder if his raw, natural, physical brute strength didn't overpower the likes of the competition that he played in Hawaii. Now you're in the, in the States at USC – you're flipping him to the offensive side, hoping that, you know, you can get some production out of him, but he could be a project. He could be somebody that we don't see blossom until later in his career at USC. And I think Levi's a guy that, that is really, really interesting. I mean, we, we mentioned if you're sitting down and filling out what you want this offensive line class uh, to be at the beginning of the season, I mean, the, it, it's his teammate at Narbonne that's on the list, Jonah Taunu. Yep. And and a guy, Sean Ryan, who ended up at UCLA. Um, so those two guys are not here. There's going to be some comparison. Um, what, what does Jonah end up doing? What does Sean end up doing the next few years? Mm. And did USC really miss on those? But Levi's a guy where, it, you know, if you want to have that kind of senior season at, at a school like Narbonne, that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll certainly take a look at you. I'm willing to uh, I'm willing to believe that when the coaches, the USC coaches, you know, go on a player like that, they see what that potential is going forward. And, and to me, I mentioned it in the, in the story, the superlative story that we posted. I, I think he, you know, nobody is the, the make or break prospect, but if right. he ends up being good to great, the, and you assume Rodriguez is going to be that as well. Um, no doubt, yeah. Adding two guys in this class out of the three, and, and again, who, you know, Who's to say what happens with anybody? But I think right. he's a guy that could really tip things kind of in your favor I mean, six, um, three, when you're you only know, taking six, three. 6'3", three, 3 bills. This kid reminds me a lot of Fred Matua, uh, a guy who wasn't heavily recruited but just plays with an attitude and can just bring the funk to the offensive side, something that I think that they've been missing. These five-star recruits on, on USC's team, nobody on that offensive line was nasty. And, you know, I'm a five-foot-nothing guy, but when I used to walk off the bus, I walked off with the likes of a Sean Cody and a Kenichi Udezi, just some big, just mean guys that you didn't want to mess with but are gentle giants. But but when the whistles were blown in between, um, in between those white lines, you know, you didn't want to contest or contend with any of them. 
you get that a little bit with Levi. You just wonder if you know if he can harness that energy and and just play with a chip on his shoulder and give USC some quality production from him because he could be an anchor on an offensive line that really changes the identity of it. I can totally see that. But a guy like Jason Rodriguez, I mean, you, you just can't miss that height and size. His feet work, the quality of him, he should be a book in. Whether he's going to play right or left um, um, tackle is, is yet to be determined. But I will tell you this, um, he fundamentally, you know, he's as sound as, as, as one would get. And I think that he's going to be a staple in this offense, um, that offensive rotation, as it typically likes to go about seven or eight deep. And then, you know, you you want to talk about a staple in the offense. We're going to move to wide receivers and tight ends. And this the wide receiver class, it could have been five deep of just phenomenal guys. It ends up being three at this point. Uh, Brew McCoy obviously going to Texas. And then Puka Nakua still Technically, verbally committed to USC, he's going to take maybe a couple days to decide. Washington and Oregon seem at this point like the teams to beat for him. But you signed Kyle Ford today. And I think, again, at the beginning of the year, if you're going to say give me one wide receiver from California or maybe from the entire West or maybe the entire country, Kyle Ford, I think, is that guy. And then you add Drake London, Muneer McLean, and then a couple tight ends in Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray. And, and uh, you know, uh, again, you lose Brew McCoy. I'm, I'm not going to take McCoy, anything yeah. away from the fact that Brew McCoy, if you're picking, uh, you know, a starting 22 of recruits from across the country, Brew McCoy's on that team. Mm. But looking at the wide receivers and tight ends in, in this class, it okay. I'm <laughs> I'm good with that group. <laughs> All right, E. Look, not hating on them, okay? Because I think Brew McCoy is a phenomenal athlete. Okay, but when I um, leading up to uh, the first signing day, I evaluated both Brew McCoy and Kyle Ford, and both are aggressive. Both could even uh, easily be compared to the physicality that Juju Smith Schuster played with when he was at SC. But the difference between Kyle Ford and Brew McCoy, Brew was very raw. He didn't run the most polished routes. But he was a beast at the point of attack. But Ford went healthy. And granted, I have to say healthy because he's coming off of an ACL injury. And um, thank God he's at USC. You know, he'll be rehabbing there because of the, the quality of their doctors. Um, I expect him to have a full recovery. But when he is at his best, you think about in this air raid attack, you got Amon Ross St. Brown in the inside. Michael Pittman Jr. on the outside. Then you got the likes of a of a Kyle Ford who could play opposite of him. Uh, but I don't think that even a healthy Kyle Ford is going to beat out Drake London. And I'll tell you why Drake London in a moment. But let me finish my point. I think now the time where Tyler Vaughn, instead of him being the outside receiver, you move him and Amon Ross St. Brown in the two slots. Now you have size on the outside, skill in the inside. My dark horse, Eric, in all of this, when I saw this kid, Drake London, out of Moore Park play, and with his size of 6'5", how he moves like a smaller receiver in and out of his routes um, with a 40, I don't know, 44, 46-inch vertical, no doubt out of everybody, 
I'm most intrigued by this kid because I think he can have a Mike Williams type of effect in the red zone. Not since um, Daniel Imator Bebe went down has USC had a really just a, uh, a dominant inside presence. And London, um, this kid London has all the makings of a special, special talent. And he could find his name in the Raptors at USC uh, walking down All-American Hall. And that's not hyperbole. Uh, I'm dead serious about that. When you look at his skill set and how it translates and how he runs his routes, he's nimble like a smaller 6'1 receiver at his size. He's too big for corners and and too fast for, for safeties to defend. That's why the, even though USC lost a lot, Eric, what they have coming back, and in my opinion, as good as they are, the best one who committed but isn't here would just set this recruiting class off the, uh, off the charts. Yeah, that, that would be Puka, Mako, Puka Nakua. I know, I know you're kid. a huge fan of his. And, and yes. absolutely, it, it would have been just, I mean, he, he's not so much, you know, icing on the cake for this class. He'd be like a second cake or, or pie to go with right, the cake. Right, right, right. Um, but, but, again, I, w- when you look at Ford and London, we talk about there's some reaches in this class. Those two are, you know, USC wide receiver takes absolutely yep. every single year. Uh, ESPN ran a story where 65 college football, uh, you know, assistants and, and coaches uh, were polled about who the best prospect in the entire 2019 class was. Drake London got two votes in in that poll. Mm. I, I mean that that says I think a ton um, about him. First of all, for for anyone to pick a wide receiver when you know it, you you'd sort of slant towards defensive ends or, or offensive right. linemen, but for him to get two votes, I, that you know I, I've seen the film and, and I know how good he is. But that yes, sort of pushes is, it over the top. He is gifted in, in basketball too. Uh, might right. I might I add. Right. So I think you've got those guys. And then the, the tight ends. Um, you needed a couple tight ends in this yep. class. And, and again, sitting down at the beginning of the year, if you sort of fill out, you know, your perfect class, the, these are the two tight ends uh, that, that you would add. Yeah, because when you think about the production that USC got from its tight ends last year, it was very wide receiver dominant. Not a lot of slants were run. Not a lot of curls were run. Uh, Tyler Platit was probably overworked for uh, for his skill set. Um, didn't get the production that you thought you were going to get out of some guys that you were depending on at that position. But lo and behold, you bring in a kid out of St. John Bosco, Jude Wolf. I think that this kid is a Swiss Army knife. He's a utility player. And I wanted to use this comparison, but I don't want to overshadow um, – uh, his skill set, but there was a certain New England tight end that played opposite of Gronkowski that was used in multiple sets. This kid, I'll, I'll just compare him to how USC used Rhett Ellis. Uh, is Rhett Ellis or Rhett Ellison? Rhett Ellis. Ellis, right? Rhett Ellison? Yeah. Okay. Um, he can be used as a U-back. A U-back is the off tight end that is also used as a hybrid, like a fullback. So you can put him at 6'5". He can get small enough and motion in the backfield, be your lead blocker, 
and finish plays. Or you can extend them out as you get inside the 35, 30-yard line close to the red zone. Now all of a sudden you have those prominent targets where if teams are trying to match up from a personnel standpoint, you keep him on the field, you're now going 11 personnel, one running back, one tight end. And that one tight end is no different than a wide receiver. So what do you do? Who do you cover? When you talk about the size of this team, it looks like a small lineup of a basketball team when, when you think about how USC got vertical on, on, on everybody. But um, I even like Ethan Ray. You know, uh, I, I think that he's going to be your, your punisher. He's going to be the one who finishes plays at 6'5", 240. Uh, again, just another, another solid guy who can extend plays, but if you also want to go 12 personnel, which is not really the air raid attack, but it's something that I know that Clay Helton would love to do. One running back, two tight end sets to give whoever the quarterback is, let's assume it's JT Daniels, that play action pass. Um, Clay Helton is still multi multifaceted uh, in terms of how he wants to run his personnel, but I don't know what to expect in the air raid attack. But I do know this, whether it was Cliff Kingsbury or Graham Harrell, either one of them likes to rotate a lot of receivers. So I wouldn't be surprised if the seventh or eighth receiver on the, uh, on the depth chart got at least 20 catches or more. would not be surprised if we saw that with all this talent. And Helton did say one of the things that really sold him on Harrell was in looking at sort of Harrell's version uh, of the air raid. And, and he was, Coach Helton was very clear and upfront when the air raid was brought up that this is not Mike Leach's air raid. I, I think that's kind of the offense when you hear air raid that most people are familiar with. Cliff Kingsbury had his own version. Graham Harrell has his own version. And yeah. Clay Helton said one of the things that really sold him was how often they were in 11 personnel, how often they were in 12 personnel, and that means getting tight ends on the field. Yep. Um, you know, Helton said that that was – absolutely a requirement um for him and i think with for these two tight ends coming in that's certainly pleasing you know for for them to hear uh that they're going to get to run sort of wide receiver routes um in yeah, this addition by subtraction, you guys you know, are I, I still think that if kingsbury was in this system it might have overshadowed um clay but now clay gets the best of both worlds he gets a variation of the air rate without losing his soul his sense of identity. He wants to be a physical team, um, and the only way that you can do that is to make sure you're in certain formations that favor that physical style of running. When, when you think about Vavai Malapiai in the backfield, and then you you know, and then you complement that with Stephen Carr, and then the kid who emerged in the last game. I can't think of his name. I think it's Step. Step. Yeah. Boy, I tell you. And we haven't even talked about this explosive running back out of San Diego that's in this recruiting class, 10-5 let's, sprinter. Let's jump, let's jump in that right now. Uh, yeah, Keenan Christen is the, the one running back signing in again uh, when Helton's talking about Graham Hill's offense. North Texas, he made sure to point out, ran for 2,000 yards last year. And so this is adding another running back yep. uh, to, to that stable. Yeah, and, you know, in the way that USC – shares the, the the ball at the running back position. Um, I, I think that if you are coming from Texas, and I always think about the adjustment of Ronald Jones II, Rojo, um, how he was able to transition, uh, there is no, nothing better or greater to remind you of, of why you committed to USC than to walk into the Coliseum and listen to the roar of that crowd and you get your first touch. 
and this kid is very explosive, very smooth, and really does fit this air raid attack because he creates a matchup nightmare. Soft hands out of the backfield, so you can definitely extend him and create those matchups that you're looking for. But also, surprisingly, Eric, he's not afraid to run in between tackles. And, and in the air raid attack, USC will likely run wider splits like a zone blocking. We used to call it Raider Laker. Uh, but a zone-blocking scheme that will allow for the running back to kind of find his way through daylight. Stephen Carr should benefit from this and, 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 and others who are in the program. But, boy, if you were going to get a running back, one that's willing to tote the, um, or carry the load, you, you certainly got a bell cow in this kid. And, and, again, I think running back was an interesting spot. Uh, this year they had a commitment from, from Jordan Wilmore who ends up at Utah, and he feels like, that Utah back that's kind of going to step in, you know, for, for Zach Moss, that, that much bigger back. And it was obvious right. that new USC running back coach Mike Jinks wanted that speed back. They went after a couple guys, uh, Darwin Barlow, uh, a TCU commit, took an official visit, ended up sticking with TCU. Keelan Robinson took a late uh, official visit to USC. He was an Alabama commit, ends up sticking with Alabama. So you're left with, with run, one running back uh, in this class. But, you know, he, he is – he is dynamic, and he has some terrific speed, and I think he's going to be an interesting addition uh, to that to that running back room because you have two bigger guys in you, the last you, Yeah, you talked about it, right? You you got Vibe Malapii and then Marquis Stepp, who they're the, the the physical bruisers. Then you got somebody who who you know will juke will juke you out your shoes in a shoe in a phone booth, and Stephen Carr when healthy. But you still need that, that second gear, that punch that uh, Keenan Christen gives you out of San Diego, out of Madison. Uh, again, you know, sprinter background, so in the open field, when those knees come up and he's turning over, I just watch the way that he accelerates and he just, it looks like, you know, he's running in the second gear, but you never see him shift that gear. It's very smooth, his transition. I, I love that about him. Um, so overall, when you think about this class, yeah, it, it may not have been they may not have been able to retain some of the, the decommits, but I tell you, they put a lot of thought into what they wanted out of this class, and these are complementary pieces that you can stack on um, the last two classes. And if they can get quality production out of that. And what is one of the best things that the NCTOA implemented, uh, Eric, that, that these younger players should benefit from? It's that they can play up to, what, four games? Before they have to declare a red shirt, and that four games doesn't have to be in continue or consecutive weeks. You can stretch that thing out throughout the year so that you can get quality experience from them without burning their red shirt year. And that value add will only help them like it helps step. Getting that playing experience against Notre Dame now coming in where the workload might be a little bit heavier for them this year. And then we're gonna we're gonna finish out the offense. Uh, USC signed a quarterback, Keaton Slovis, and, and this is another guy who kind of came out of nowhere to get his USC offer. It, it was early in the process. He didn't take a whole lot of time uh, to think about it. Jumped right on it. Um, it. It's a guy that anytime Clay Helton has been able to talk about him, uh, he has just raved about him. Um, and, and I don't know. I mean, it, it's. When you're again, if you're looking at the recruiting rankings, he's coming in a year after JT Daniels and mm-hmm. potentially a year before Bryce Young. So, you know, you you look at where playing time might be there, but 
it, you you needed a quarterback <laughs> this year, and it was not it was not a great year, uh, you know, for quarterbacks um, in, in this region. USC took a run at Ryan Helinski. He's going to end up going uh, to South Carolina, but outside of that, you needed a guy, and this guy obviously is someone uh, that Clay Helton, you know, re- really likes. So, and yeah, we'll and he's out of Scottsdale, of Arizona, Desert Mountain, and uh, who was this uh, offensive coordinator or quarterback coach? Kurt Kurt Warner also. Um, obviously, he's going to push his own guys, but sure. hey, if Kurt Warner wants to talk about a quarterback. I'll, I'll certainly listen to Kurt Warner. Certainly listen to that, but um, but but if you were just to tell me that you know Clay is raving about a guy, um, I, I'm not always sold that Clay is the best judge of talent when it comes to quarterbacks. Uh, because going into last spring, he convinced me that Jack Sears and uh, the other kid, I can't think of his name right now, uh, that's Fink. both backing up JT Daniels. Matt Fink. Uh, Matt Fink, I'm sorry. Yeah, he, he convinced me that these guys were bums and they couldn't play. But then I seen Jack Sears enter into a game against Arizona State when um, when uh, JT Daniels was in concussion protocol and in the second half looked as good as anybody quarterback in the country. So... I'm almost concerned when I hear him gloat and praise and then downplay another quarterback who can clearly play. So it really all boils down to quarterbacks getting their reps. But my concern with um, um, Slovis accepting the, the offer uh, to come to USC was what system did he believe that he was going to be playing under? Was it T. Martin's system, Clay's system, or was he expecting the air raid attack? Because does his game transfer or, um, into that, that role? Or can he adjust? Is he adaptable? But he may be an enigma. He may be in between. He could be the Matt Castle of this group, playing in between two Heisman Trophy caliber type quarterbacks. We just don't know. It's too early to determine. But if you are him and you're coming in with this recruiting class – whether it's in practice or you actually get game time opportunity, you're certainly throwing to guys that will be playing on Sundays, and you can't help but benefit and get better from those reps. And USC absolutely needed a quarterback in this class. I mean, you still really don't know how the quarterback battle, you can't see my air quotes when I say battle, (laughs) uh, this spring, you don't know how it's going to turn out. Uh, But, you know, we, we talked about there was a chance you know, Matt Fink or, or Jack Sears could transfer at some point. Um, you know, we'll, we'll throw JT Daniels in there too, depending how things shake out. But that that's still a chance. I mean, that, there's absolutely still a chance that that happens. And, you know, you, you certainly can't get caught with two scholarship quarterbacks. So, right. so bringing a quarterback in um, is really important, you know, for this class. Uh, and then we'll, we'll round out the recruiting class. One guy left. Um, the the punter from Australia, Ben Griffiths, yep. and uh, again, I, you know, I, I'm tired of seeing Utah bring all these Australian punters in and just pin opponents at the five yard line right. over and over and over. over. I mean, Utah has a great defense. When they're defending 96 yards of field <laughs> every single time, it's yeah. a lot easier to be good. And so th- this is a guy where you graduate both punters from last year. He has obviously just a clear shot to walk right in and take over that starting spot, and, and it'll it'll be interesting. Um, listed at six seven, I believe. Um, so th- this is a this is a grown adult. Um, it's a grown who, adult who's coming you know. in and, and stepping in as your punter. 
Yeah, and and usually uh, when they come from Australia, uh, growing up with just such an influence from rugby, these rugby-style kickers, they have tricks. They have uh, points where they can hit the ball, and like you said, the ball will either drop, land in, in, in areas that give the defense a, a competitive advantage. Uh, too many times was USC very inconsistent on, on punt coverage, and as a result of that, it led to short fields. And this is, again, with an offense that, that has the potential of being as explosive as it is, the defense doesn't want to give short fields because it, I, I'm going to find it hard-pressed for teams to continuously have to march down the field on a fresh USC defense. So hopefully he comes in and he gets adjusted right away, not only to the time but to the, um, to the environment and, and, and really kind of find his groove early on because if he's able to provide the type of production that USC desperately needs that, like you talked about, Utah Utes have benefited from, that's going to really kind of complete um, a very solid special teams unit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think sort of, and then wrapping up uh, the entire class, I, you know, I, I don't think there's any secret about it. This is when USC does not finish with the number one class in the Pac-12, something happened. And, and this year it's sort of, yeah. you know, everything kind of came to a head. Uh, again, it would have been interesting to have seen what this class would have been like had Cliff Kingsbury stayed um, and, and they were able to sort of carry what momentum that built through. Uh, that that obviously did not happen. That coincides with Oregon just blitzing California and, and really kind of the entire country. Um, I think Oregon's class, when they started putting it together early, there was sort of a thought, okay, well, let's see if they can keep it together. They absolutely did. And so those sorts of things, yeah. when Washington has that kind of momentum and Texas can come in a little bit, uh, when you, this, this was not the year for USC to go five and seven and then try to put this recruiting class together because they absolutely got taken advantage of. But like we mentioned, we're going to see what the evaluating skills are like uh, with, with some of these guys. And, it's a, it, it's an interesting class. Um, I, I <laughs> yeah. think that's sort of a, a safe way to put it. I don't think, you know, the, there's no way you can look at this class and go, this is a terrible class and none of these guys are going to work out. Well, I think well here, here's what I would say to that. Okay. No, it, it would be. It, it would be absurd because when you think about the quality of teachers that are now on this coaching staff from Mike Jinks, who was previously a, a head coach, who's coaching up the running backs now. Then you got Chad, and I'm just going to butcher his last name, um, Kua, Kua Aha. I want to say sure. that it, I believe he was from um, Boise State. Boise State, yeah. Yes, and we know the quality that Boise State uh, produces year in and year out gets the most out of the out of the least because trying to get recruit um, players to come up to the Smurf turf and, and play up there in Idaho isn't the easiest thing but year in and year out they're very competitive so when I think about just the likes of that and now you have uh, an offensive coordinator who is going to implement a system to develop and to stim uh, to promote competition freeing up Clay Helton to now be the administrator and oversee the program. 
I'm very intrigued to see how well the dynamics of this group comes together, but also that inner competition of which group can can get their their um their unit to perform at at its peak. Uh, and I go back to Greg Burns. I love the guy. He's been around somewhat of a journeyman, but the time that I spent with him, having spent uh, time with Dennis Thurman and Dwayne Walker, it was like he was like my third defensive back coach. Um, I had my best year under Greg Burns as a defensive back at USC, and Troy would say the same thing um, as a safety because Greg has this unique way of communicating the needs but also coaching you up and loving you up but giving you that relationship where you trust what he's telling you. So this secondary should benefit from teachers around him, and Clancy should benefit from having more experience around him in the coaching as well. Absolutely. I, I think that's going to put a bow on uh, talking about the 2019 signing day class for us. Um, hopefully next year we're talking about two, 2020 and Bryce Young, the quarterback for modern day, is still a part of it. Uh, you know, he has a chance to really sort of lead that next group. But uh, for, for We Are SC Talking Signing Day, this is Eric McKinney along with Daryl Riddell. Thanks for listening. <laughs>